The physician-priest was once common until society separated medical care from spiritual care. But today, we talk to a surgeon who's also a priest and discusses how he balances both careers. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Daniel Hall, Assistant Surgery Professor at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and which came first, you know, priest or physician? It's kind of like the chicken and the egg, I suppose. My original intent in entering college was to think that I would be a research scientist, but as I began to claim the faith of my childhood as an adult and be exposed to courses in philosophy, I became interested not only with the questions of how things happen, but also why they happen. And I also realized that as interesting as the molecules are in the cells and the bark of the tree of the forest, the forest is kind of cool too. And growing out of that, I sort of had the calling to ordain ministry, which was uh, strange and unusual for me and couldn't quite reconcile leaving my background in science completely. And it was sort of struggling to understand how those two things could come together, that the advice of some mentors came home to root in suggesting that medicine might be a place where I could combine both my interests in understanding and explaining the world scientifically, but also being involved in people's lives and helping them answer and address the uh, big questions of meaning and value. I think that's interesting because I always have professed that medicine's a calling also. you just got a dual calling. So tell us about your pastoral life first and responsibilities. There was an article in uh, American Medical News. That's how we found out about you, and it says that you uh, have duties as a priest. I do. It's uh, I have never really anticipated that I would be the full-time pastoral person of responsibility at a local parish given the demands of the medical career. But since the time that I was ordained, which happened the week after I graduated from medical school, I have been serving in parishes continually, preaching every four, five, or six weeks, and participating in the leading of worship on Sunday mornings, as well as some of the educational and outreach activities of the various parishes with which I have worked. How does this affect your scheduling? Do you ever, in the middle of a sermon, and you, you get buzzed for an emergency uh, appendectomy? As a resident, uh, I was absolutely certain that I would never be on call at the times that I would uh, be responsible for work in the church. Now I uh, do cross that uh, bridge a little bit, and happily nothing of uh, much consequence has happened to take me away from the church yet, though I have had to... Uh, <laughs> jump the uh, communion rail once or twice to uh, help resuscitate someone who has uh, fainted or started to have a heart attack. That's always interesting. Okay. In the AM News article about you, you stated that being a priest is definitely an asset. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, I can. The training that I received in Divinity School is was within a community that was introspective or is introspective and sometimes almost to a fault. And I remember being very startled by the contrast between the introspection of the Divinity School community and the, for lack of a better word, the extrospection of the medical community. In medicine, uh, we're so concerned with learning more data and more information to be able to help people 
the sort of cycle of our day and the sort of way that we structure our information is almost deliberately designed to prevent us from sort of stepping back and asking questions about why it is what we're doing. And sort of as a result, the, my training as a pastor and my experience there gives me not a unique set of ears, but uh, a set of ears that are attuned to hearing patients' questions being directed toward uh, fundamental spiritual questions. For example, I find that when people are, are asking me, you know, why did I get colon cancer, they're not really looking for a treatise on the oncogenesis of the, uh, the colonic mucosa. They're asking questions about why did this happen to me. And the, the best physicians, you certainly don't need to be a priest to do this, but the best physicians have always been able to acknowledge those questions for what they are and address them for what they are. And certainly I think that my training as a pastor and uh, in the Divinity School has prepared me to, to hear, the, hear those questions and address them for what they are. How do you approach that question with patients? So I, I'm not sure that there is a technique that can be used in all situations. It is, as with most of clinical medicine, something that is constantly negotiated in this very uh, elaborate and sometimes beautiful dance between the clinician and the patient to negotiate how people can be served in that context. But that being said, you know, if someone asks me, you know, why did I get colon cancer, I begin to sort of try to ask them what are what are the issues that are bothering them, that they're afraid of, I try to get them to express some of their emotional content. Um, and if they begin to ask questions of sort of ultimate significance, why they are in the world, what's their place in that world, what their relationship with God might be, I'm, I am willing to kind of take those up and, and begin to explore them, often with some negotiation that happens before that to sort of say, okay, here, he, let's try to set some ground rules. We're about to sort of talk about your spiritual life. To what extent would you like me to be involved with that, if at all? How would you like me to address these issues and uh, take them from there? Well, Dan, this is interesting because I, I practice medicine humanistically too, but I'm, I'm not a surgeon. I'm a dermatologist. And, and I found that in most surgery residencies and most surgeons I know, this is like anathema to talk to patients this way. How was it for you in your surgical residency dealing with the surgical personality type? I know I get a lot of hate mail from surgeons now, but it's too bad. That's the way it is. Those of us who live in the hospital know the kind of surgeon about which you speak, but I have found in my own training that that is not as common as perhaps it may have once been or as much as sort of the mythology might suggest. It is sort of unusual that I decided to choose surgery, but what I found in medical school is that I, I found that the experience of having your arms up to your elbows in blood and guts on a daily basis connects you to a depth of the human experience that I'm not sure that you can find anyplace else. And the level of acuity, I mean, anyone who is on the operating room table and about to let me have at them with a sharp instrument is sort of by definition being compelled to ask some pretty important questions. And I find that the best surgeons are the ones that are sort of aware of that. They deal with the intensity of the situation and can perhaps not over the lifetime of an internist with his patient, but in a shorter period of time, build a very intense and intimate relationship in which one can negotiate common goals toward which one directs the surgical therapy. Do your patients know that you're ordained, or do you? how does this come up with them? Yeah, I'll be quite honest that I'm in my first year of practice as a uh, fully board-certified surgeon at this point. And during my residency, because I was always functioning as someone else's proxy, 
I was very careful about uh, the timing in which I might share this other hat that I can sometimes wear. Though I do on my clinical white jacket have both an MD and an MDiv degree, and that often will spark some conversations for those that know enough of what an MDiv is. But primarily, I don't wear a collar with my white coat, and most patients would not know in their initial encounter with me that I carry this other vocation and set of skills. But again, in the context of the relationship, I discern that there is a desire on the part of the patient to talk at a more intimate and deep level. I will sometimes sort of say, hmm, let's step aside for a second and let me tell you something else about who I am and let's see whether that's something that you'd like to bring into this encounter in some way, shape, or form. And I try to do this with some prudence so as not to uh, ever have the sense of being proselytizing to patients and to respect their own sense of vulnerability in the context of the of the relationship. Do you ever get any negative comments about your wearing two hats from either colleagues or patients? I can't say that I have, uh, and that may be because I haven't been sufficiently bold yet. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, certainly, Jesus didn't always get uh, positive comments. So on the one hand, I want to be ironic, but I also want to uh, to the witness, to the, uh, to the truth of the gospel that I hold dear. Do you think, both as a surgeon and as a priest, that we're doing enough in medical education to foster care and compassion in future doctors? No, I don't think we are. Uh, I was just actually giving a lecture to the surgical residents earlier today on that precise topic. I'm not sure that I know the answer uh, to how we could do more. There's certainly a lot of interest in developing curricula for professionalism. But I think that there are some fundamental limitations in how you define that in a universal way. I guess what I was trying to say to the residents today is that you come to residency to learn how to save someone's life, but you're also learning at the same time when you should save someone's life. And you learn the technique for how, but you need to develop the virtue of wisdom to discern when you should. And people smarter than I going all the way back to Aristotle, have uh, thought long and hard about what it requires to develop the virtue of wisdom through practical experience. And I'm not sure that we pay enough attention to it in our medical education. I know that the reason why we train in an apprenticeship model is largely to do with the need to form virtue, which I believe is formed by conforming your life and becoming under the discipline of other physicians who have proven to be wise and good in the past. And in the effort to reform residency education, and residency education has not always formed virtues. It can also form vices. And we have sort of identified some of those vices with an overhanded paternalism of the past and a doctor's knows best attitude and sort of the overwork hour issues. But those are sort of symptoms rather than the root cause. And I fear that in uh, changing the structure of residency education right now, we run the risk of losing some of the very trustworthy practices of the past that have done, even though we weren't sort of aware of what was going on, have done the hard work of shaping the virtues necessary to be good doctors. So, Dan, in your future, do you think that you'll be spending more time as a priest or more time as a surgeon or, or trying to stay in that balance? 
it's hard for me to separate those two identities. I am a priest who happens to work out that priestly vocation in the context of the operating room, at least within my own self-understanding, though it may not be explicitly obvious to all that are there. My work as a surgeon is my work as a priest. What I do hope is that I will be able to develop an academic career, one that can hopefully shape some public policy to help physicians recognize and claim the part of their role which is functionally priestly to some extent. It is not a coincidence that the medicine man, the priest, and the shaman are so often the same person in so many different cultures. And I think that a good deal of the dissatisfaction voiced with modern American medicine can be explained, at least to some extent, by physicians' inability or unwillingness to fill the interpretive role of helping people weave the experience of illness into their life in some meaningful way. That is something that I see as fundamentally priestly, quite apart from any uh, specific theological tradition. And to the extent that physicians can claim that role with integrity and help their patients make sense of what it means to be ill, that would be uh, a great life's work. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for being our guest today and talking with us about your dual career as both priest and surgeon. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. And we thank you for listening.